you have a Bible, would like to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 18 this morning. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Paul writing to Timothy says, Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they have overthrown the faith of some. Now that's since the reading of the word, this portion of God's word, let us pray. Father, thank you for your word, and we thank you that it is a living thing. It is living and active. It penetrates our soul, and we, may it penetrate today and do its work, Lord. Do, do heart surgery on us through the word today. And Father, as this especially applies to ministers, I pray that you would do that work in my own heart and make me what you want me to be. Lord, speak for by your grace, we would listen to that word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Paul begins this section uh, urging Timothy to remind them, to remind the congregation of these things, probably pointing back to what he has just said in verses 10 through 13. And in verse 10, he expressed his concern for the salvation of the elect, of God's chosen people, that uh, that that was why he endured, uh, did everything for the sake of the elect. And then verses 11 through 13 contains a faithful saying, possibly a hymn fragment, where he gives several assurances uh, uh, about salvation, warnings against deny, uh, those who would deny Christ, and then ending with an emphasis on the faithfulness of God. So with these things in mind, Paul gives a charge to Timothy. And no doubt this charge has been given to many ministers at their ordination, um, at their ordination service. So it certainly applies to me, but it applies to all of us. And essentially two points. Uh, and the two points are kind of uh, the first half and the last half are, are the first point. And then the middle part. Uh, the meat of the sandwich, if you will, is, is point two. But point one is avoid unprofitable and unholy talk. And then second point, rightly handle the word of truth. So first of all, we need to avoid unprofitable and unholy talk. He says, charge them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. <clears throat> Charge them before the Lord, that is to call God as witness to what's going on. And we need to realize that that is taking place every time we gather for worship. We gather to hear the word of God. Uh, and when we do, we need to know that God is present and we're not to strive about words. Um, we're not to argue and uh, 
engage in a war of words is what this phrase literally means. Now, of course, words are important. You can't preach without words. You can't learn, really, without language, without words. We have to study uh, the the meaning of the the words of Scripture. Uh, We have to learn grammar and so on. And so otherwise we couldn't understand the Bible. So Paul's not saying not to give attention to the study of words and their meanings. In fact, he always encourages intelligent uh, study and, and and, and discourse, even debate with people, uh, whether it's inside or outside of the church. Uh, if you just a couple of examples, Acts chapter 17, uh, he was <clears throat> in Thessalonica and he went to the synagogue and, and it says that uh, for three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the scriptures. So there's there's a reasoning process that ought to take place. And then later in Acts 17, Paul's in Athens. It says he disputed in the synagogue with the Jews and the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happen to be there. So we should be engaging one another uh, in discussion, uh, believers as well as unbelievers, in order to do what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 5, where he says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity uh, to the obedience of Christ. So uh, what he's saying is they were not to engage in mere semantic arguments or uh, that, that, that are not profitable, things that really aren't of any weight or substance. They weren't to do what the philosophers were doing in Athens at that time when Paul went there in Acts 17. It says, For all the Athenians and strangers which were there, uh, spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Uh, we all like to hear some new interesting thing. And this is, uh, so it's nothing new. This, this is what they were doing then, and it was kind of worthless, really. Uh, how many angels can dance on the head of a pen or, or something, you know, some kind of questions that they might address and never resolve? And uh, they were ever learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Uh, and, and today, we, we find that people want something new. They're not content with the Bible. They, they believe that God is giving new revelation. And that's exactly what Joseph Smith believed when he founded the false religion of Mormonism uh, uh, by a new, supposedly new revelation. Uh, and people often strive about words. Another way they do that is to be obsessed with speculative matters. Something might be mentioned in Scripture, but then they take it a step further away from the Bible into speculation. First Timothy 1.4, Paul told Timothy to command men not to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies because these promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. So God frowns on those who would uh, lead us into speculative matters, uh, just to satisfy our curiosity or to tickle our ears. And uh, I think that a lot of preaching and teaching on the end times uh, has done that. But you could take any subject and and take it uh, to an unbiblical, uh, speculative, uh, uh, you know, extreme. First Corinthians 14, Paul laid down a principle for speaking and teaching in the church. He said this, let all things be done for edification. 
for edification. Uh, we're, we're not here to just give you more um, information to fill your head. We're not, you know, the preacher is not here uh, to help you be good at Bible trivia. Uh, but no, the, we're, we're to preach and teach and interpret the Bible for the purpose of edification. That means to build you up in your faith and in your walk with the Lord. Uh, when we focus on side issues, on technicalities, on obscure things, instead of the core matters of Scripture, uh, we end up doing harm to the faith and practice of the people of God. So teaching, uh, the teaching and preaching of Scripture, yes, it does sometimes touch on secondary and tertiary matters, but it must never leave the, the main things of the faith, such as sin, salvation, and service, uh, righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. A focus on Jesus Christ, his person, and his work and our growth in grace. These are the things that need to always be taught. Verse 16, he says, Shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Uh, the word profane is, it, it, it used to refer to an unhallowed place, a common place, a public place, a secular uh, place or thing. It refers to anything where God is left out of the picture. And fails to acknowledge him. It, it may also refer to irreverent words about God. Um, profane talk is essentially worldly talk. And to be guilty of profaneness in preaching is to bring worldliness into the pulpit. Um, to make more of uh, the stories that one would tell uh, from out in the world rather than the word of God. And there's nothing wrong with stories. There's nothing wrong with illustrations from the world. But when those things dominate rather than the meat of Scripture, uh, then we've gone astray. And I mentioned this, I think, last week, but a lot of preaching in the church today, it appeals to the flesh, and it, it is that health and wealth uh, message, or heresy, as I would say. And um, a more subtle approach than the health and wealth prosperity gospel is the therapeutic gospel. The therapeutic gospel is, is a self-help message. It approaches the Bible saying, what can I get out of this to make my life better, to give me my best life now? Uh, instead of coming to the Bible and reverently asking God, Lord, what do you want for us? Uh, people are using the Bible to say, what can I get out of it for me? And, and, and live my life the, life the way I want to live it. So they're using the Bible, not allowing it to speak uh, to them. And, uh, you know, God's word is, is meant, we can see from this passage, it's meant for the purpose of developing godliness, not worldliness. In 1 Timothy 6.5, Paul warns of those who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. So, what we have today is um, people wanting to build churches and uh, empires sometimes, we might even call them. And in order to do that, they, they end up focusing on meeting the felt needs of people. Um, they look 
that view of ministry looks at people as consumers. Consumers. Now, we live in a very consumer-oriented society, so that's not hard to do. Uh, what does the consumer want out of his religion? Or, or what would the consumer want in a church? Well, let's give them what they want. Uh, David Wells, in an article titled The Bleeding of the Evangelical Church, writes that the problem with giving people what they want is that most people coming into the church don't have a clue about what they really need. They don't want personal salvation. They won't, don't want to be right with God. Uh, they want other things. They want not to be saved from their sins. They want to feel good about themselves. So let's make them, let's give them what they want. But uh, sinners are not free to define their needs. And the church is not free to, uh, to, to approach ministry uh, in that way. Because by nature, we're in rebellion against God. We don't have a clue about what we, what we need. And so to cater to what people want, whether it's to get more people in the church or to make some kind of profession of some sort, uh, what does it lead to? It leads to superficial, nominal Christianity. And I've seen that uh, in, in, the, in the churches today. So when, when, a, when a person uh, preaches, when a church puts man at the very center of the message, man and his felt needs, uh, God fades into the background. I mean, God's there to maybe meet the felt needs, but God's not the center, man is. So, so what we need is a return always uh, to, to the centrality of God, the sovereign, the holy God of the Bible. Uh, the reason we have to shun this kind of preaching, Paul says, is because it will increase to more ungodliness. Uh, if God's missing from the message, it, it only makes sense that it would lead to ungodliness because you're without God. So the improper use of the Bible, it's not, it's not a harmless thing. It, it leads to the ruin uh, of souls. The, the ministry of false teachers can also be characterized by idle babbling, just, just empty, vain, religious-sounding words that really uh, don't edify. They don't build up those who hear. And if you uh, go to a liberal church, let's say, one that doesn't really believe in the inerrancy of the Bible, uh, doesn't believe in the authority of scriptures as the rule of life and practice, you might go to one of those churches and listen to the sermon and you might say, well, I didn't hear any heresy in that sermon, but I didn't hear anything worthwhile. It was just a, a string of religious sounding words and Phrases and platitudes, it was just idle talk, really. You know, the Bible says that knowledge is a good thing, but it says that knowledge by itself that doesn't edify or lead to godliness, knowledge by itself merely puffs up. It leads to pride, and pride leads to ungodliness. As I said last week, you and I have an obligation, those who hear the word. You see, the focus maybe is on Timothy as a pastor and a preacher here, how he is to go about his work and how he is not to go about it. But there's the flip side, and that's you who are hearing sermons. You are a consumer. You're a consumer of sermons. And what are you doing with those sermons? Each and every week, uh, God is speaking through the sermon and offering you his grace. He's speaking if you have ears to hear. 
And, um, and each time he expects a response. So think about that today. What response might God have you to make to his word today? Each time you hear a sermon and don't respond uh, to God in it, you ignore it or you refuse to heed and hear what's being said, then uh, that is not a matter of indifference. It will lead you to more ungodliness. So this profane, this idle teaching, Paul said it will spread like cancer. Probably a better translation is gangrene. Um, it, it, it spreads death and destruction. And, you know, yes, it spreads. It spreads uh, like bad news spreads, you know, uh, False teachers are always popular, often popular. And, uh, and so false teaching spreads sometimes faster than sound teaching. And those who, um, those who, who, who don't like to listen to sound teaching but want their ears tickled, well, uh, they are ripe uh, to be deceived. Stephen Cole writes the following. He says, because... These teachers appeal to the flesh. Uh, these false teachers never lack a following. Some of the largest churches in America use the Bible to help people succeed in their worldly, selfish goals. But don't judge a church by how big it is, but rather how sound the teaching uh, is in, and how it produces genuine godliness. So this teaching, false teaching that's worldly, that's man-centered, it spreads but it spreads in a bad way, like gangrene. It destroys the soul. It eats away at our spiritual lives. Paul gives an example of the false teaching that was being spread. And he mentions two men, Hymenaeus and Philetus. They've strayed concerning the truth, saying the resurrection's already passed. And they overthrow the faith of some. So it's interesting that Paul, in, in all of his letters, he seems to not be bashful about naming names. Um, and, and there was a reason for that, because these men were uh, an imminent danger to the flock of God. And so it's not wrong uh, to name names when necessary. Well, what, what were they teaching? They were saying the resurrection was already passed. Now, there's been, again, this is, uh, we don't know exactly, you know, what was going on here, but it's possible that they had spiritualized the resurrection saying that the resurrection wasn't a physical thing that you know of the body but it was a spiritual resurrection <clears throat> and uh, and you know there is such a thing as a spiritual resurrection that's the new birth you know we've been made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins and yes if you're converted that's in the past it's already taken place but the bible also teaches there's a bodily re- resurrection to come and so Perhaps these men were guilty of teaching a half-truth. They, they, they taught one half of it, but they weren't willing to teach the other. You see, here's another way uh, in which we can uh, deceive people. The devil does this, presenting half-truths as if it were the whole truth. When Jesus, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, the devil did that. He quoted scripture, and, uh, and yet it was only a half-truth. And so this is unholy, it is unprofitable. And it will lead to ungodliness. So what's the answer? Well, instead of unprofitable and unholy talk, Paul says to Timothy, you need to rightly handle, rightly divide the word of truth. 
So his calling was to use the scriptures in such a way that would lead to the salvation and to the edification of those who heard him. And and indeed, really, all of us, even in our everyday speech, are called to this. Uh, In Ephesians 4.29, it says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And so if that's true in our everyday conversation, how much more is it true for those who preach the word of God. All preachers have a great responsibility in this area because they're called to preach and teach the truths of Scripture. And, and what God says to Timothy certainly applies to anyone, to everyone who goes into the ministry. Be diligent, he says, to present yourself approved to God. So that's the first thing that uh, those who would preach the word need to listen to, need to think about. The King James says, study to show yourself approved uh, to God. Uh, Either way, the challenge is to put forth serious and faithful effort in this work of preaching, studying the word. And to do so, he says, present yourself approved to God. To do so not for the approval of the congregation necessarily, but of God himself. You know, God is the audience. You are the receivers of the word, but God is the one who we are, who both hearer and preacher are seeking uh, approval from. But today, the uh, I think it's fair to say that that many preachers are are seeking the applause of the crowd. And and there are some preachers that are very good at uh, getting a crowd and, and, and speaking in such a way that, that people want to come and, and flock to hear. But, you know, we need to aim at the commendation of God. And, and preachers can certainly fall into the trap of wanting to please people. Uh, and, and certainly no, none of us should do that. Our aim is to please God, not people. So we're dealing with serious matters, aren't we? When the word is preached, uh, we're talking about issues of of eternal weight. We're talking about salvation or damnation, heaven or hell, life or death. And so God expects us to be diligent and to be serious as we approach the preparation, the study, and the preaching, as well as the hearing, of course, of the word of God. He says, be diligent, rightly dividing the word of truth, rightly divided to handle it correctly. And there's a metaphor here. Uh, and it's good that the, the New King James preserves that to say rightly dividing the word of truth. What does that mean to to rightly divide the word? Where differences of opinion about this. Uh, Calvin, John Calvin thought it was a picture like a like a father who, who took meat or bread and cut it up into small pieces for his children. Uh, to be able to eat and digest, you know. So the preacher is taking the word and he's cutting it up and he's presenting it in uh, in, in a palatable and eat more easily digestible and understandable way. Well, that may be, but it's probably not really what the intent is here. Most likely, uh, this phrase really refers to what used to refer to cutting a straight road or plowing a straight road. For Rome. So to rightly divide the word is to, is, is to cut it straight, is to preach it uh, without varying to the left or to the right, without deviation, uh, without diluting the message, 
uh, to handle it straight out, not twist it. And so uh, the preacher of the word has to take the text and tell it straight out uh, to engage in an exposition of what God's intent is for that text and not to engage in an imposition of his own thoughts on the text. Now, Dr. Hendrickson explains that the man who handles the word of truth properly does not change, pervert, mutilate, or distort it, neither does he use it with a wrong purpose in mind. So the minister of the word of God, whoever that is, should handle the word reverently because it's God's holy word. He must handle it carefully, uh, making sure that uh, he is not careless with the word. He must handle it courageously and do so in the fear of the Lord, not the fear of man. He must handle it accurately, being faithful to compare Scripture with Scripture. And if his, if his interpretation doesn't match up with other portions of Scripture, he needs to start over and rethink his interpretation. Well, uh, finally, the Scripture must be handled dependently, depending on the Spirit of God. The one who inspired the Scriptures to illumine that text to the preacher and the congregation. Of course, every one of us should read the Bible for themselves. You will get much more out of the sermon if you're in the Word of God on a daily basis. Read the little thing here, uh, quote at the end of the announcement section by J.C. Ryle. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, you know, based on you know how I love your law, I meditated on it all the day long from Psalm 119. That's what we ought to be doing. And you will learn much. Uh, you may learn more than the preacher if you study, if you study and read well, uh, and that's okay. But God has ordained, he's called preachers and gifted them by the Spirit of God and brought them into the congregation, brought you into this congregation to hear that word preached. Now, why would God do that? Because... The fact is, sometimes people do know more than the preacher, and, and a lot of times the preacher is not very impressive. But there's something unique and something special and something divine about the act of preaching, faithful preaching of the Word of God that, that mere individual Bible study does not do. Uh, they both work together. Uh, would never pit one against the other. But God the Holy Spirit works through the faithful preaching of the Word uh, to convict, to convert, to to build up in such a way, uh, to challenge, to comfort, to encourage, to inspire. God is here. You see, it's not about me. It's about God who is present in the midst of His Word being preached. He attends the Word with power. You know, the men who, <clears throat> who authored the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms also uh, wrote up a directory for the public worship of God. A lot of people aren't aware of this. But and there's a section in that directory of public worship on the preaching of the Word. And if you want better preaching, here's what you need to do. Uh, you need to pray for your preacher in these seven ways. Okay, Seven words you can write down uh, and pray for your preacher. And the first... Word is that the minister must perform his task painfully, not doing the work of the Lord negligently. Take pains. Put forth effort. 
into his study. So pray that I would do that or your preacher would do that. Secondly, the minister needs to preach plainly uh, that all may understand, uh, you know, on a, on a level low enough for children to understand. Uh, but feeding the flock and uh, they're faithfully looking to the honor of Christ as well as the salvation and edification of God's people. Fourthly, preach wisely, framing the um, uh, the doctrines and the reproofs, especially being wise in the way we reprove uh, so as to prevail, uh, so as to win people. Uh, five, to preach gravely, that is seriously, uh, as becomes the word of God. Six, to preach with loving affection, that people might see that there's a zeal for God, a love for God, but also a love for them, that they're, that the pastor is desiring uh, to do them good. And then seven, last, to preach as one taught of God, persuaded in his own heart that all he teaches is the, truly the word of Christ. And, and, of course, to do his best to live as an example to the flock, as all elders are called to do. So I need your prayers. Um, and if you will pray uh, these ways for, for me or for your preacher in your church, um, their preaching is going to improve. <laughs> it really will. But as we close, let me just, just say three things about how do you know when the word is rightly being preached. You can analyze any any preaching in this way. Three things. First, you know the, the word is being rightly handled when it honors God and exalts Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Sound doctrine always lifts God up as the one who is majestic and sovereign and holy. And it always exalts Jesus Christ as the hope of sinners and of the salvation of the soul. Second, sound preaching will always humble Proud, fallen sinners. Sound preaching always brings sinners to the foot of the cross where they come to an end of themselves, an end of their own pride and self-sufficiency. And third, sound preaching promotes devotion to God and holiness of life. Um, you know, God, what does he want for you from this sermon? And I would say, as, as, as Paul alludes to, the, the, the kind of teaching that leads to further ungodliness, then the converse is true, that when the preaching of the word is rightly divided, then it should lead to godliness. So now the onus is on you and me uh, to take what we have heard. The preacher is certainly responsible to rightly divide the word, but you are responsible just as much to rightly hear and to receive the word and make good use of it. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, be careful how you listen. For to whoever, whoever has will be given more. But whoever does not have, if you don't receive the word, you don't listen, then whatever you seem to have is going to be taken away from you. So you are either responding to the grace of God in the sermon and growing in that grace, or in not responding, you're going to be shrinking back and you're going to be uh, headed toward ungodliness. There is no middle ground, is there? Um, so respond to the word of God. Pray for your pastor. Pray for the preaching. 
Pray for yourself as you go to hear that preaching and pray. And I pray that as long as this church is in existence, that the word of God would be preached faithfully and rightfully divided and handled. I appreciate your prayers. Let's pray.